This is a wonderful start to a wonderful episode that we haven't recorded yet. Yeah, did you guys like this read? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It was a lot of action. I think this was the best read I've had this book yet, by far. The only thing I'm going to say is that a lot of times when there's a lot, a lot of action and a lot of specifics that are going on, I will have tendency from time to time to kind of gloss over it. It's easy to do that. Yeah. Because he's going, he's going super fast and not giving a lot of details. So if you miss anything, you right. missed a lot. If I remember in Black Company, the first thing we did, Shed was like, or sorry, Shed, <laughs> Yule. <laughs> You was like, I do not like military movies. I do not like military shows. And that's where I get jazzed about because I think that's exciting. I I was into this chapter big time or these chapters. That brings me to the uh, nuts and bolts. We are today discussing chapter 31 to 36 of Shadows Linger by Glenn Cook. Are are we ready? Are we ready? (laughs) Come on, man. Episode. Chapter 31, Juniper, The Return. Two days after his capture, Shed is wiping mugs in the lily, feeling poorly used, when Asa walks through the door. Yeah, Asa's back. He just uh, left with Raven. Asa's back in town. Yeah. Yeah, He just walks in nonchalantly and makes a brief eye contact with Shed and then goes around the bar and then goes up the stairs. And Shed, you know, of course, freaks out. He drops his mug, but then he follows him up there. But pawnbroker is still is right there just watching him and follows him too and i love this scene it was pretty subtle pawnbroker does not tip his hand but he eavesdrops on this private conversation that asa wants to have upstairs in raven's old room with shed loved it that was a beautiful scene well the gist of it is asa is come back to warn shed bullock caught up with them down south and raven is dead I immediately was like, bullshit. That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) There's no way. I mean, I like Bullock all right. And he seems like a pretty tough guy. It was his hired thugs that caught up with them. It wasn't Bullock himself. But somehow Bullock is also wounded, cut up, but he's going to live and come back. And he knows now that Shed was in on the Catacombs raid. So Shed's got to go. Well, you know, it's funny. You, I called BS too, but for a different reason. I was like, why would Asa come back? None of this made any sense. I thought this was some weird ploy by the Black Company to get information out of Shed. I thought it was a wizard. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Oh, that's exactly you know? what I thought it was like subterfuge, concealment, mm-hmm. whatever. It just didn't make any sense. I mean, I did not buy it. I was like, Asa, show up all by himself uh, in a town where he's wanted. Well, he did flee to a place that he's familiar with, which is something that people do. There's some truth to that, absolutely. And maybe he really did feel some loyalty. Remember, Shed saved his life. He owed him the big one, and maybe he's paying Shed back for the big one. You know, I had completely forgotten about that. That makes perfect sense. All right. But upon hearing the fact, you know, that Raven's dead. Pawnbroker just busts in. What? So now these guys know that they were being spied on, and Asa thinks that Shed was behind it. Shed knew all along. Well, he would probably know that it was going to happen, right? He wasn't going to get away, and Pawnbroker just let them have that conversation until it became time to let himself be known. Asa feels a little betrayed, and I understand that makes a lot of sense, but he's like, shut up, don't worry about it. These are the good guys. And he's like, is that Pawnbroker? Yeah, Raven told me about you. <laughs> And that's a big deal because now the Black Company know that Asa's got information about the Black Company. Mm. He actually knows particular people because of stories that Raven's told. It also means that Raven remembers Pawnbroker. And remember, they were sending Pawnbroker down into the buskin because they didn't think Raven would remember him. That's probably maybe something that clued him in. Well, no, he was just lucky, though, that he didn't show up to that one thing. So he didn't catch he was on. Late to the, yeah. He was late to the meeting, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I thought Kingpin went down here first, but, I mean, once after Raven left, then... I don't remember who was down here. Was it Kingpin or Pawnbroker? It's not important, but look it up if you care. Uh, it's not that important. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so Asa describes Raven's death in detail for Pawnbroker's benefit, and Shed's too, I suppose. And then he says, Shed, you've got to get out of here. I've reserved two spots on a boat. Should I tell him you're coming also? So doesn't that mean three? I kind of thought what, you, what, what you're alluding to, that there was like a third person, like maybe Darling's with him or something. But he obviously said Darling was somewhere else. He, yeah, he left her behind. But maybe it's just, I bought two tickets. I have to let them know who's coming with me, maybe is what that mm. meant. 
Despite this glorious news that Asa has secured passage for the two of them, possibly the third of them, pawnbroker's like, you're not going anywhere, dummy. Let's go downstairs. Shut's like, ooh, this is important. Maybe I should go get Goblin for you. <laughs> and pawnbroker's, he'll be along soon enough. <laughs> pawnbroker, uh, he has Asa in his custody, in that dark corner where Raven used to like to sit. And old Shed goes back to his business, wiping out mugs and serving customers. Shed is making arrangements to get the F out. I know Shed is covering his ass. I don't trust Lisa, is what he says. And then he says he heard she got arrested, and maybe that's why she hasn't returned. And he doesn't want Sal thinking that people are disappearing around him too much, so he's covering his ass. And then he starts thinking about Darling. And then he goes over to Asa to ask him some questions, like, whatever happened to Darling? That's when Goblin enters. Goblin enters, and uh, Pawnbroker lets him know that Asa says that Raven is dead. And Asa has to go through the story again. <laughs> yep. Yep. In detail, in full. Mm-hmm. And Asa, when it comes time, does not want to go anywhere with Goblin. He starts to grow a little bit of a spine. And this is when a little little magic, a little subterfuge. No, it would be a prestigitation, wouldn't it? What was it, like a, a smoke thing coming from the cup or something like that? I would assume it's an illusion of some kind. Yeah, it's a head-like shape with, like, glowing eyes. My little friend wants you to argue. (laughs) He feeds on pain. And he hasn't eaten for a long time. I've had to keep a low profile in Juniper. Even though we know that this is just one of those things that, like, One-Eye and Goblin are sending after each other all the time. It's a simple trick, but it is terrifying to Asa, and it's disturbing even to Shed. Yeah, and Shed, like, when Goblin, you know, leaves with Asa, he, like, takes the mug and looks in it, and there's nothing in it, right? But he's, like, throws it in the trash. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, that's not going to stick around here at all. (laughs) I wouldn't drink out of it either. There was just a little man in there. Who knows what he was doing? All right, so Asa does go with Goblin. He's pretty docile after seeing the sorcery. I think he's scared out of his wits. And Shed decides that, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to make my escape attempt at the earliest opportunity. Asa should be afraid of Goblin. He's probably heard tons of stories from Raven. I don't think you should have heard anything from Raven. I think Raven should have kept him completely in the dark. But he didn't. In fact, it sounds like he knows a lot about the Black Company in the time that he was hanging out with Raven. It's been a while, let's be honest. How long has it been, though? At the end, I, th- I think it's two chapters from now, it is late summer. Mm. A whole season has gone by. Right. That's true. And it had been the end of winter when he left. Okay, so uh, yeah, it was late winter when they left, or early spring, whatever. So almost two seasons have gone by at this point. Plenty of time. Although, mm. usually, Raven doesn't want to bother conversing with anybody. He is tight-lipped with his information. He always has been, right? Yeah. There's some purpose to what he's doing. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming whatever message he's sending, it's through Asa. Hmm. Asa came up here on his own, of his own free will, to warn Shed. Sure he did. I think that we see the Black Company interrogating Asa over and over again. It's obviously him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that takes away the idea that it might not have been him at the very beginning. Now I'm thinking, well, maybe Raven sent him here. Right. Because of reasons. Probably to throw them off his scent, get Asa over here to keep them you know, busy while he goes and does whatever he's doing. Yeah, well, I think Raven's purpose was to for Asa to come here and, and report that he's dead so they stop looking for him. That does seem reasonable. That would be a thing, too, yeah. But much like how Bullock is a pit bull and headed south, <laughs> maybe it won't work. Chapter 32, Juniper, Visitors. Croker and Goblin are waiting for Elmo in the house downslope from the Black Castle. They have a small fire going, and there's a bunch of irons laid out next to the fire so that Asa can see. Yeah, they want him to think that he's going to get tortured. It's going to be very painful. He's going to think about it longer and longer and probably want to cooperate when the time has come. There is also this strange smell. And it keeps getting worse. Oh, and my God. It's, it's like, like pee? Cat piss. They're, they're like, hey, Croker, did that cat get back in here? And he's like, I kicked it down the street. He kicked it halfway down the hill. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, it smells like burning cat piss in here. And then in the fireplace, like the flames lick up, right? Out of the corner of his eye. It's the other world that exists within our world that you can only see in between blinks. That kind right. of a thing. And he sees a face in the flames. 
he is at first startled and terrified, thinking that the lady is spying oh, on them, yeah. or and that it's one of, of the, the taken. taken. Yep. Yeah. But then he realizes, sort of subconsciously, that the creature had one eye, and he's like, "Oh, one eye's in town. <laughs> one eye's in town." But still, that's how he announces his presence because he's not actually there. But he makes mm. the whole room stink like burning cat piss. <laughs> So there's a big bang at the door, and there's Elmo, One-Eye, and the captain has also arrived. So Asa tells his tale yet again. Then Croker has to tell his tale also. The captain gets to learn everything, essentially, is what happens here. Now, the captain is supposed to be with the rest of the black company that is traveling, correct? He snuck away. And the limper's over there also. Yes. The limper... Hasn't been talking with the captain at all. For months. <laughs> the captain said he's bored. So he thinks he can get away and get back. Huh? Right. He got away. Yeah, he got away. That, that part. He got yeah. away. Yeah. I assume also that the messages that they're trying to send, are ju- it's just not sufficient. It's kind of like sending a text message when you really need to send a letter. Right. You know, or an email. The, the information's just not getting through to the captain at the rate that he wants. And there's some benefit to the captain arriving as well, not just the communication. Like, his very presence is probably a little heartening to these people. Remember, they've been hoping that the captain will hurry up and get here so he can take some of the stress off. I really like this part as far as, like, the character development of the captain. In this particular section, he actually acts like the leader he should be. I mean, he's calm, he's reserved, he's calculating, he's reassuring to everybody, and he just has that that presence of command. He's also critical. Yep, he is also critical. He tells Croker that it was a mistake to be so suspicious of the Taken and to cover their back trail that the way they did was a waste of time and energy. And it created the suspicion that they were so worried about. And he even says that the Limper has no uh, anger or resentment to the Black Company. He's not showing any sign of it. That's what I mean, yes. And he has that history with them, so he doesn't think he would have been able to hide it. Right. It was Raven's responsibility to, to escape, which he did. Didn't need any help after all. I think the last thing he says before he's ready to go is that you guys need to prepare to take that black castle the minute we get here and the city's under control. And it it can't be long because the captain rode here probably a matter of days. Mm -hmm. Kroger asks Goblin and One-Eye if Ace's story rings true. They both give the affirmation, yes. He's not lying. It sounds like the truth. I think he actually describes Raven's death in, in detail here. He said it looked like he was writhing, being consumed by a serpent from the inside. Yeah, so what is that? I'd, I don't Fake? know. Fake? Poison? Uh, Drama? Well, we're going to be getting into a lot of, uh, we'll call it role-playing terminology or so, somewhat, at least later on. And this yeah, could are. easily be something like that. You know, magic. If you cast heat metal on somebody's belt buckle... And all of a sudden, they're squirming and trying to get out of their clothes. I mean, it might look a little bit like what's happening to Raven. He said he was screaming and writhing and dropped dead. But it doesn't sound to me like he even saw the guy die. Right. That he just ran for it. And they're like, yep, sounds true. Like, what? (laughs) No, not really. Also, you know, in their discussions, they have the same kind of doubts that, that we do. Well, Croker does, definitely. Croker does. Yeah. When he's talking with the captain... The captain's trying to talk Croker off that ledge, you know, that the Taken hate us. and But Croker knows more information than the captain does, maybe. We don't know. Well, he was also under the stress of being there right now. And it's it's easy to say, oh, that's not a big deal when you're not there. Right. You know, and you're coming in after the fact. But, like, Croker and the company were under a lot of stress. The Taken are there, like, staring at them, bringing them in every single day, questioning them. But that was because Croker and those guys were doing... They were dogging it. They were doing backdoor stuff, you know. They were. Covering their tracks and trying to be all sly. And if they would have just been doing their job, maybe they wouldn't have had any of that problem anyway. If they had just been doing their job, they might have actually caught Raven. (laughs) Croker asked a question of Asa, and it is, did Raven have any papers? And Asa's a little bit caught off guard by this question. He didn't expect it, and nobody there expected it. Nobody in the Black Company expected this line of questioning. He's like, maybe a trunk or a chest, something that he didn't let anybody else near. And eventually Asa realized, oh yeah, he had a crate. And he said it was somebody's death warrant or something to that effect. I think he said it was like a casket. 
if I remember correctly. It looked like a coffin, yeah. The existence of these papers, the fact that Asa is an unreliable narrator, untrustworthy, maybe didn't see anything, coward. The fact that Darling is left alone down there. The fact that Raven spent a lot of money to buy a ship, have it built and sail with it, suggests to Croker that maybe Raven's not dead. And the captain grudgingly agrees that it would be something that Raven could do. Fake his death. And so he says to Croker, you will go down and investigate when I can finally afford to let you go. Sort of like Bullock. All right, so the captain is to return to the main body of the Black Company. To One Eye and Goblin, he says, no horsing around. The taken, we don't want their attention. Yeah, actually, that happened uh, just prior to One Eye showing up. <laughs> Smartly, Croker was telling Goblin, hey, don't screw around with One Eye this time. For the same reason, actually. Or at least with the same excuse, I should say. And he did it in such a way to make goblin feel like you know he was he was one-upping by not doing anything one eye to one eye yeah and and goblin was like smiling like you know mischievously the ignoring of one eye is going to be turned to into a weapon of some kind but yeah so i kind of i I like that and i'll tell you why i like how it juxtaposes here because croker was getting a lot of crap for not leading the group correctly even though it was elmo's fault that he was leading it at all because he had to go and talk with, you know, Whisper, and then Croker was coming out and, you know, giving commands, even though, again, it was supposed to be Elmo doing it, and Elmo let that stuff slide, you know. And even now, he had the same good sense to control Goblin concerning One Eye, as did the Captain, and I thought that was... Uh, it was still some leadership shown by the our narrator. It kind of gives us a little bit of a, a plus for him. His diplomacy's leveling up. <laughs> there you go. He got a he's got a skill point. Congratulations, Croker. <laughs> All right. So the captain also tells them to hold on to Asa in perpetuity. They're going to need him for the future. And then he says, "Elmo, ride with me part of the way back. We have stuff to discuss." And to my thinking, okay. So what's going on in the story right now is that Croker's idea that the Taken were going to kill them all when the body of the Black Company arrived, that's still on their mind. They're still concerned about this. This was the whole conversation about the limper and the limper's not showing any signs. That's what that was all about. But it does seem like the captain is still taking this as a possible serious threat. So he wants to have this private conversation with Elmo and maybe give him some instructions that nobody else is aware of. Oh, that's exactly how I took that. He wants a private interaction with Elmo and he also is probably going to give him private orders. Chapter 33, Juniper, The Encounter. So after the captain's visit, the Juniper branch of the Black Company, their discipline begins to tighten up. Their communication gets tight, they get less sleep, but everybody is kind of on edge and ready for combat. They're getting back into shape. It's like they have a purpose for being again, or maybe the end is near. Oh, the brothers or are the showing the beginning up. of the end of near, is near. The beginning of the end of the end of the beginning. Yeah. Right. All right, so Elmo, during this time, has taken everybody out of Duratil except for himself. He's found some excuse to get everybody out, and I suspect that's also a protection against the Taken so that they're not going to be all clustered together in easy pickings. It's just a risk to have them all there. Whether it's questioning or mind reading, they need to look busy and they need to get away from the Taken. I think it makes perfect sense. And Elmo mm -hmm. takes full responsibility, as he should have been anyway, because he was in charge of this mission. Too bad for Elmo. I'm sure he doesn't enjoy it, but, you know, who does? It didn't make sense to me that Croker was that guy anyway, other than the fact that Croker seems to be a little more... He's more diplomatic, for sure. And he could speak other languages quicker than the other guys, and it was mm -hmm. just all the things that led him to being in charge when he probably shouldn't have been. There's a reason why he's the analyst, and it's not right. Elmo. Exactly. All right, so tensions are mounting, though. Croker tries to spend his free time updating the annals. He's been letting it go a little bit, but he just... 
When he can't concentrate anymore, he goes closer. He walks uphill to the Black Castle, and he says the closer he gets, the less he can concentrate on anything else. It just commands his attention. There's a lot of philosophical conversation about coming up here and staring at the castle. And Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes people within the company come up with him. I mean, he's had Shed and Asa up here, too. You know, when he says this, the closer he gets to danger, the more focused he gets, and that, in a way, kind of... All of his stresses and concerns just go by the wayside because he's focusing on one thing. And this made me think of something. It was, was it the, the Prince of Belgium or something, or the Netherlands? I don't remember. The king who took on an alias, and then he flew commercial airplanes for fun. He didn't do it for the money. He did it because he got away from his normal, hectic, royal life. And he said, when you're flying, it's like you don't have time to think about anything else. He said for him, it was not stressful. It was stress-relieving. Who was this? Oh, uh, let's Google that. Why don't you Google it? King Willem Alexander. From? He's Dutch. Do you think it's fair to say that the title of the book became clear to you in this section? No, but I th- as soon as you mentioned that, <laughs> those, the wheels start turning. Shadows Linger, obviously the title of the book. And one of the things that is crossing Croker's mind during this section is the world is still under the shadow of the Dominator, and it's getting worse. The Black Castle, he says, is like a great cathedral. He says it's a moral landmark. It causes self-reflection. It causes you to want to choose a side, whether it's black or white, to not be morally ambiguous. And he said that nobody is immune to this effect. Everybody that's come up here with him, whether they're talking about architecture, whatever they're pretending to focus on, he says that they're actually in a course of self-assessment. Well, do you think this is something Croker imagines, or do you think this is a real aura of uh, a mental effect? I think it might just be impossible to avoid. It's so obviously evil. It's obviously gaining in power and growing. I don't know to answer your question, but I can see something like that. Have you ever been to a cathedral? Yeah, sure, of course. Oh, okay. They don't have a profound effect on me. But, like, they definitely draw my eye. They definitely give me the sense of wonder and awe. And, like, I'm always surprised that, like, human beings can build these things. No humans built this one, though. I don't feel any sort of, you know, religious effect. But anyway, that's a good point. That's probably not a bad analogy. Well, he's not talking about religion necessarily. He's talking about morality. He talks about Raven's morality. Are you talking about the the effect of Darling? On Raven? On Raven. And how Raven's doing... What we think is an immoral act. Read that quote. It's beautiful. Here was Raven, who had acted with the pragmatic immorality of a prince of hell. Also, he could save the child who represented the best hope of the world against the lady and the dominator. Okay, so let's start by putting this into context, yes? Yeah. Because Croker has been thinking about this evil darkness, this shadow of the dominator in the form of this castle, this black castle, he then thinks of the antipode, which to him is Darling. She stands in direct opposition to the Dominator and the Lady. He wonders if Darling can be sensed in the way that he senses the Black Castle. And he says that Shed just wanted to hustle her upstairs, and Raven wasn't exactly a good guy. If anything, he had slipped further into darkness, though for the highest of motives. And so all the vile things he did with like body snatching, murders, and hauling him to the castle, and thus propagating the potential release of the Dominator, he did it to protect and save Darling. What if it's not Darling? What well, if? then he's still doing it for the highest of motives. Oops. <laughs> so the company is arrived down out of the Wallanders... And without hesitation, and for two days, they pacify the town. <laughs> Elaborate a little. Why? When the Black Company comes out of the pass, the city goes into panic mode. Sort of. They don't have any idea. There's like thousands of them poured there. And like the Duke doesn't have any sort of standing army. They don't know who they are or what their purpose is. But they know that there's nothing the city can do to, to stop them. Nobody fights? Uh, no, they don't have any armed resistance. They don't do anything like that. Right. The black company's already scoped everything else out. They quickly come in, subdue and control the positions of power and authority, and no one's willing to stand up to them. They have a little trouble in the buskin because of the organized crime that's down there, but Candy takes a group of reinforced (laughs) black company members down there, and he knocks a bunch of heads, cracks a bunch of skulls, and basically arrests anybody that gives them any grief at all. 
basically arrests anybody that got mentioned three times by locals that were upset with people. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's like snitch factory. Yeah. Well, it's also like three strikes you're out, which is something I'm a fan of. But still, it wasn't just about control when they came in here. They had a philosophy of fostering goodwill with the people so that you wouldn't have to be fighting these battles. That was complicated also. The whole thing was just a mess to me. I I didn't particularly care for the section. He said there's many sheds, and they're all weak people, and they're being preyed upon. So if you take away the people that are preying upon them, those weak people will be grateful. But what's the value of a weak person's gratitude when they may just turn on you at a moment's notice? It's a lot of effort for something that's probably not going to pay off. But at the same time, you, you may be saving yourself trouble in the long run because if the people of Juniper don't like the presence of the Black Company, they'll find ways to work against you. So the day after the pacification of Juniper, Elmo, the lieutenant, and One-Eye visit Croker at the abandoned house just downslope from the Black Castle. Their purpose is to scout out the castle in preparation for the siege that they are going to have to perform. This is when we find out that Lisa is still alive. Ladies' orders. What do you think that's about? I don't know. I, I was thinking about that, too. They did the whole brain suck on her, I'm sure. I'm wondering if they're not able to do the brain suck on her, and so the lady wants her so that she can perform it. Ah, okay. I wonder if the Eye of Sauron is just, like, top-tier magic, you know? Right. Super potent. Level 9. Something that not just anybody can do. Well, that, that may be true also. Um, and if you certainly wouldn't want to teach that to anybody below you. <laughs> yes, my apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> Let me teach you how to... Absolutely, I will teach you everything I know. <laughs> we learn a lot from Mickey Mouse, okay? I don't, I don't get the reference, I'm sorry. The uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice? That's a very long callback. Well... I did oh it. my god, it's like the 20s, man. I don't know about the 20s. <laughs> Snow White was 1928. Yeah. I mean, the Sorcerer Apprentice, I think, came first, didn't it? No, well, Snow White was first. Snow clearly, was we first. need to Google this. I think Sorcerer's Apprentice was like in the 60s. Oh, it's 2010. No, that's no, a remake. That's what it said. What was the name of that movie? I can't even think of it. Fantasia. Fantasia. Oh, is that what it is? 1940. Early movie making, for sure. I mean, animated movie making. Man, that's 80 years ago. Wow. Okay. All right. Good deal. Moving on. It is geographically difficult to assail the castle. This is what they learn. But they already knew this. So now I guess it's just the lieutenant is learning this because he's the newcomer. Yeah, I thought Croker already scouted it out. But, I mean, if you're going to be a siege... No, I thought he did. Like, he went all the way around. I think, I think he did, but I don't know. Like, we never actually saw him do it. We just heard that it was a difficult approach for anybody with a body. It's true. He, he did those things, and you have some general idea of tactics. And Well, he's not a siege expert. That's exactly what I'm getting at. If you are the siege expert, you really want to see it with your own eyes, not just have somebody tell you. So I assume the lieutenant is the siege guy, not Elmo? I thought, yeah. I thought Elmo wasn't really in charge of anything normally anyway. Who is in charge of the siege? The lieutenant was in charge of the siege works. Okay, so the lieutenant's the one that needs to see it. So he's being given the guided tour, essentially. Croker, Elmo, somebody, informs the lieutenant also that they have magical defenses. He explains what happened to Feather. They feel like they're being watched at one point when they're going around. And Elmo says that the guy on the wall had snake-like eyes. Yeah. How can you see that? He didn't see it. I'm I'm guessing he, he knows that. Huh. Why would he know it? I don't have a clue how he knows it, how he sensed it. What did he actually say? He says, I saw it too, because they're like looking and they see a shadow up there. And then Elmo says, I saw it too. Long, skinny, yellowish guy with eyes like a snake. Incredible. That's definitely the guy that was buying bodies off of Raven. But now he's got yellower skin. Because, I mean, he was described as having bronze skin before, but that was at night under lantern light. True, it was dark. And there was never any... They, they had luminous eyes before, but now their eyes are like snakes. Well, see, that's the thing. You'd think, because they saw their eyes before, that Raven or Shed would have noticed snake eyes. Obviously, Elmo is not close enough to see this guy's eyes. You know, that might just be a trick of the author just to let us know that it's not human. It's been getting less human as time goes on. Oh, I didn't think about that. They started off kind of described in perfectly human terms. The most egregious description was that they had luminous eyes. 
it's gotten a little a little worse, and now they have snake eyes, and their skin is yellow. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think there's some taint that's influencing, or they're going through these vile rites that slow... Look where they live! <laughs> that's what I'm getting at! Even if they were people, they're probably performing unspeakable rites mm-hmm. and becoming less human. It's like you're living in the Hellraiser cube. I mean, seriously. That would be cool. <laughs> the lieutenant asks, how close can you get? He's asking Croker that. Croker is like, I didn't dare get that close. Never tried, sir. Didn't have the balls. I don't understand. I mean, he does go up and check it out. He goes as dare as far as he dares, right? But he's never tested how close he can get. Gotcha. Yeah. I understand. I see, I see. And so the lieutenant's like, well, why don't we bring some of the prisoners up, offer them a full pardon, and find out? He's like, they're not going to do it. Well, I think it's kind of a moot point, because before they can test it, I believe they are tested. They've been circumnavigating the whole thing, I imagine. And when they come in line with the front gate, it opens. He feels like going to sleep or something, right? Yeah. He said by the time those creatures were halfway to them, all he wanted to do was lie down and sleep. But Goblin is a wizard. No. One Eye is a wizard. <laughs> well, Goblin is a wizard, but... <laughs> One Eye turns the spell. So there's Counterspell. Oh, he did, but he does all this, like, squawking and flapping his arms. It's just like... It doesn't matter what the semantic component is. <laughs> it's just, like, bizarre. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's it's sh- it's shamanistic, and it is, it's crazy. It's almost like a warlock, right? But he turns the spell, and the attacking creatures become lethargic and just stand there. He's like, what are you guys doing? I can't hold this forever. You need to go attack them. Hurry up. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. And then out come the weapons. This is such a great scene. Lieutenant just, like, whips out this, like, massive bastard sword. Here, here, he says, he lugs a hanger that is damn near an executioner's sword. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, you're right. Two-handed. That's a big blade. He hauls off and he hits this thing in the neck. And it goes deep, but it doesn't lop it off. Croker said that it should have severed three people's heads. (laughs) Oh. And it didn't didn't sever one, although it did kill the guy outright. So Elmo Elmo went for a thrust with his sword, and all Croker had is a long dagger, so like a short swordish kind well, of thing. Is Croker a soldier or what? He's a soldier he's when he's needed to be. They don't like him on the line, don't you remember? But he has to be in the area all the hey, time. Hey, he's armed. Yeah, I mean that's that's good enough. Fair enough. And he sticks enough. it in one. And he starts thinking about, well, maybe there'll be a better place to hit this guy. I'll use my medical skills. Well, that was because the blade barely penetrated at all. He gave it everything he had, and it sank into, like, soft wood. So I'm thinking that's bark skin. There's something about these creatures that's not normal because they're extra tough. Well, I think they're magically protected. Bark skin, stone skin. In the final chapter, we see them have a spell cast upon them for defense. One eye loses control of the spell, however, and Mm -hmm. the creatures come to i think the lieutenant swings wide and wild and the two living creatures return to the castle and the doors close on the third one who's trying to make it in and he doesn't make it in and then all hell breaks loose there's creatures on the battlements suddenly and then an unseen attack begins to try to stomp them out of existence Croker has this bright idea that, like, well, th- these things are not normal. Let's grab one and then, like, dissect it and learn some stuff from them. Him and the captain, or sorry, him and the lieutenant try to grab this thing and start dragging it. And I guess it's floppy it folded or something. on them or something. So they have to get by each leg and then they're just dragging it behind them. And it's getting hung up in the bushes while they're trying to run away from this unseen attack that's coming out of the sky and trying to crush them. And they can feel, like, pebbles and stuff splattering behind them and... Ugh. I was thinking, or since we ended the spells, that this was like Big B's crushing hand or something. Something like that. And I'm like, dump the body and run! And One-Eye is just like outpacing everybody, this hundred-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, but One-Eye's, uh, he's running ahead so that he can set up for something. He does. He turns around and he casts his spell and it goes off and he's like, well, that was the best thing I've got and it didn't work. Run. <laughs> <laughs> As they're trying to flee, the, uh, the Taken show up. There's a scream that fills the valley. Well, they don't know what happens. They don't see any of the stuff that happens. He said it's just the scream filled the valley. And then there was, no, the wall of color. Yeah, blocks out their view of the castle. This prismatic wall. And then the Taken are on the wing. And the Taken take the attention of the castle off of Croker, Lieutenant Elmo, and One-Eye. They're talking about the dots in the air that are connected with each other. Yeah. What is that now? That's the attack that's performing the prismatic wall. Huh, interesting. 
Uh, yeah, because there's a whole bunch of explanation in this chapter about what's going on. I mean, the Taken are doing it, and this one dot's in the air, and then another dot's in the air, and they're connected, and somehow, you know, with each other. And it's it's a little confusing. Yeah, he refers to the Taken as a different set of dots, because Whisper and Feather are together and flying right. around. So you're right, it was a little bit confusing, but... The yeah. dots that are coming out of Duratil are a spell being cast by somebody special. When they were talking about sending prisoners up uh, to the castle to see how far they could they could get, uh, there's a little conversation in Croker's head. He says right here where he's talking about poor people and how they're oppressed and everything. If you take away daily domestic oppression, they might imagine oppression on our part, talking about the Black Company. And he says to himself, I've seen it before. Little people have to hate, have to blame someone for their own inadequacies. And, you know, we see it a lot. I think in America, for sure, we love our heroes. We want to see them get big. But the minute they start to get big or other people are invested in them is when we start to tear them down a lot of times. Isn't it nice to know that this has been going on for a long time, though? It's not just us. Yeah. There's actually a name for it. It's called uh, high topper syndrome or high poppy syndrome. High poppy syndrome, huh? It's like when you have one flower that's higher than everybody else as a person like Elon Musk or a company that's being successful like Apple. There's always, there's some sort of resentment towards those people and they want to chop them down. It's like a philosophy dedicated towards mediocrity. Or worse. But the funny thing is, is a, spoken as an American, that's kind of like our dream. The American dream is that we can become that person. The reality is that we're going to get shit on <laughs> if we make it. <laughs> haters got to hate, right? Our haters going to hate. Chapter 34, Juniper, Flight. The fighting on the hill can be felt down in the buskin. Shed piles out into the street, I assume with a bunch of other people at the same time, to watch what's happening, but he's also very smartly looking to see if any of his babysitters are watching him. And mind you, he doesn't know who they all are, so he's trying to figure it out without letting on that he's looking. Trying to tease them out and somebody comes out and keeps an eye on him. Mm -hmm. Shed isn't stupid. There is nobody in sight, and the buskin is in chaos. Back in the lily, Shed goes upstairs... He gets his gold, he gets his silver, and he gets that stupid amulet, and he puts it around his neck. Why would he take that amulet, dude? I have no idea. He has to know by now that they're trying to destroy the Black Castle, that whatever's up there is evil, that he's had a hand in it, he's feeling guilty about it. Croker recently said when he was staring at the tower and wondering at its effect on people, that it had a profound effect on Shed, because he's stable, he's wealthy, he's not going into debt, he has no problems other than his conscience. And he said that his conscience is bothering him. And yet he takes this stupid amulet. Don't get it. It's valuable. It's got to be greed. Avarice. I mean, he can always sell it. But if the people from the Black Castle break out, take over, he's going to want some symbol of his loyalty towards them. It might mm. be It might be a chip that saves That he's going to take with him because he's leaving. Well... Yeah, he's taking it with him because he's leaving, but who's to say that if this thing comes out, it's not going to spread in all directions? All right, I'll give you that. Uh, maybe that's the reason to do it, but you know, if you don't have any business going in there, I don't think I'd... Uh, well, it, it might save his life. It's incriminating also. Yes, but only if somebody else recognizes it. Or if they suss it out. I think they'll figure it out if they, if they see it. I mean, it might not matter in the end whatever happens but maybe that's the dominator's personal symbol the sigil and maybe. maybe the lady is like oh yeah so you work for the dominator huh he's like no what are you talking about i uh, found this i don't know who you are technically lady. raven gave it to him a friend of mine gave this to me mm, yes. <laughs> that, that is true <laughs> the creature gave it to him no raven did. yes no no raven nope raven he said, this is my partner. He may come alone, and the creature gave it to him. Oh, okay. All right. Back downstairs. Sal is just very calmly watching the events up on the hill from the doorway. He says she looks like a homebody and at ease. And he says, Sal, it's, t it's time for me to go. He gives her 20 leva and says, look after my mom. And yourself. 
and your kids. He even goes as far to say as like fire fire Lisa. Yeah, if Lisa comes back, fire her. And I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever be back, but if Wally shows up, let him know I forgive him. He is such a liar. Whoa, that's hardcore doing that one. You know? It is. It is. Oh, he's still it's a dirtbag move, but at the same time, maybe it's how he wished he could have acted. There's no reason to give himself away now. He's got to keep up the guys. He just has to. He doesn't want to be the bad guy, even though he is a murderer well, and the bad guy. Unfortunately, there's nothing gained by telling the truth. I just felt like saying anything at all was not necessary, but it was because he's covering his tracks. Tell Lisa she's fired, and then he's out the door, through the back door, through a bunch of alleys. He takes one look back when he's on Wharf Street, and he says that he can see that the Black Castle is burning. There's smoke rising from it. Awesome. And then down at the waterfront, there's just boats everywhere trying to get out. Oh, yeah. Ships are, like, fleeing in all directions. And, like, nobody is looking at him, right? Like, he doesn't see anybody following him whatsoever. No, he's probably in the clear. Everything looks good. He tries a couple of boats. He gets rejected, rejected, finally finds somebody that will take 10 leva to give him a ride. He doesn't even ask where he gets on the boat and ducks down to get out of sight. <laughs> We're just going around the around the horn. I know, know but this is really far. funny. So the yeah, like, pawnbroker <laughs> pawn rushes onto the docks just as the ship is parting, you know, pulling out. And pawnbroker tells the captain and the, and, the, and the crew to like stop it's like stop and come back and they they said they give him a rude gesture let's say give, they give him the bird <laughs> and die for it oh my god because an arrow goes right into the captain's throat and 12 more people die as they're fleeing because they're not going they're not going to stick around but Shed's just like, I had no idea that there was dark. No, yeah. <laughs> well, he said that the Duke's men would have just thrown their arms up in the air and cursed and been like, gosh darn it. And then they would have stomped off complaining. But these guys do not mess around. This is the Black Company. And then he wonders, how did they know where I was? He's like, oh, sorcery. I wonder if anywhere's safe. Now, sorcery on him or something he's carrying? Goblin finds people. We know this. Yeah, that's true. Goblin found those little kids. But this is Pawnbroker. Well, yeah. Pawnbroker's yeah. just the guy that's being told where to go. Okay. All well, right. Goblin said, hey, he's down on the docks. He's on this boat. Go get him. That's it. Yeah, well, Pawnbroker is tenacious. They finally get this fleeing ship, finally gets out of arrow range. So, like, Pawnbroker press gangs another ship. <laughs> like, so it's like let's go out, and they launch a boat. Like a little, they, like a little ship, right? Not even it's a, a real launch. ship. Yeah. yeah, I think it's hilarious. And but you know, of course, unfortunately, they, they don't catch him. But Shed is about to like soil himself. He's like, oh my god, these guys are tenacious. I'm never gonna get away. Mm. He's got to wonder, and that's when that's when he has a thought. He's just like, oh, you know, how do they track me? Must be by sorcery. I'm like, can they track me anywhere? Raven knows how to avoid it, so there's a way. But Shed hasn't learned it yet. Chapter 35, Juniper, Bad News. When the fireworks are over, Whisper alights at Croker's headquarters. She says there has been no damage to either side, despite the fire and the three people that died out in front of the gate. There's been really no damage. It was just all sound and fury signifying nothing, as it were. Thank you, Shakespeare. And then she says, you brought me a body. It was all Croker's idea. And he even mumbles under his breath that it's like, oh, you don't let me do anything. Well, yeah. He says it loud enough for her to hear. Yeah, because Whisper yeah. is going to take the body and her and Feather are going to take over the autopsy. And they're not even going to let him be present. And, of course, Croker's upset. He's like, I'm the one that thought of it. And I'm the one that got the body. And almost got smashed doing it. So I thought that was pretty ballsy of him to do that. And Whisper just lets it slide. Ignores him. I mean, seriously. I mean, she could have just vaporized him right there or turned him, turned him into molten slag. Or He still has value or, or she would. Or either that or she's not, she just doesn't care, right? What does she care what Croker thinks, realistically speaking? Well, she care? it's a sign of, you know, you know, dissent that needs to be squashed. Yeah, and when it, when it becomes time, she'll kill him. Mm. She tells them, the lieutenant in particular, you are to begin sieging at once. You will have the limper support. A circumvallation. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, I looked it up. So what does that mean? 
So the simple def- definition is to surround by or as if by a rampart. It must take a long time to be able to put this stuff up. To get no, the, no, no, no. Trenches and woodworks. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. He, he said the earth was flying. They're using like the entire population of Juniper to get this work done. Oh. Yeah. They've gotten everybody that they can get their hands on and they're working through the night, through the day. No stop. One of the things I really got out of this, Whisper told him, it's like, start your circumvallation. The limper will help you. And he's like, he's like, you do your job. Don't tell me how to do mine. <laughs> just like. So another, another person being really mouthy to Whisper. Mm-hmm. Different person, in fact. And she doesn't do anything about that either. So she says, expect a breakout for gathering prisoners. They're desperate. They're very close. If they get a dozen people, it's done. You mean the Black Castle, that is? Mm Mm-hmm. A dozen people will do it. Alive, I assume. She asked the question earlier, like, when you were getting this body for me that I'm stealing from you and taking all the glory away from you for, did they try to kill you or did they try to capture you? He was like, capture. They wanted. To, they were sleeping us. So assume that a dozen living people and it's done. The Dominator's back. That's scary. Absolutely scary. It is scary. Man, I'd build my wall. I'd build my circumvallation a little further out. Yeah. Well, but they've no. got trenches and they've got walls. It's, um, it's an impressive act. Well, Croker is watching the process occur. Mm-hmm. Pawnbroker finds Croker and he uh, gives him the bad news, the name of the chapter. That Shed got away, he escaped, he's on a boat, couldn't catch up to him. He's on his way to Medinville. So they know where he's going. So Croker tells Pawnbroker, go find Elmo, tell him the story that you just told me, and tell him that I suggest that you, Pawnbroker, go searching for him <laughs> when this is all done. That's your punishment. And he said it was a, it was a light sentence considering that he'd messed up three times. True, he did screw up. And while you're out there, check on Darling and those papers, and might as well check on Bullock, too. Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. Get a twofer or a threefer. Fuel to your point, vast manpower was being thrown at the defenses. Right. Everybody they can get their hands on. He said that a lot of the goodwill that they had earned by cracking the skulls of the criminal organizations was lost because they <laughs> rode these people hard. Well, they're also getting killed, but... You know. But they're also dismantling buildings for resources. And people are living there, and they're like, oh, well, they're derelict anyway. One-Eye and Shaky have a team digging to undermine the wall. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. They're at the steep part, whatever, and the wall may collapse. It may take a long time, but it seems to me this is a magic castle mm-hmm. with magic walls. I don't see those walls falling down like normal walls. Just me. So Croker wanders around after watching the valation and talking to Pawnbroker, and eventually he finds the lieutenant. And the lieutenant tells Croker, Hey, Croker, you know, you're getting kind of old. Why don't you settle down and get married? Doesn't he say something like, your girlfriend's showing up? The lady is coming to Juniper. (laughs) And he's like, oh, no, the lady. (laughs) It's been eight years, and they still give him grief about those stories he wrote. A lot of conversation these days about bullying people. And a lot of times it just feels like it's good-natured ribbing. Or maybe it's not even good-natured, but it's ribbing. When you're a part of a family, those are the ribs that kind of cement your connection with these people. Maybe it's a little bit of bullying. But nonetheless, these are the things that people do when they get to know each other. It's definitely part of the brotherhood. Definitely. It's it's a great way to relieve tension, too. Well, we see it with one eye and goblin. You know, they do it their way. Here they are doing it to Croker. Remember, he wrote he wrote fantasies about him and the lady before he met her. Well, it was about the lady. I don't know if he was involved. Yeah, he was having dreams, and then he would write them down, and people found out about it. Remember? Mm. No, I'm not. I'm not super clear on it. Chapter thirty six: Fireworks. <laughs> For two days, the castle was quiet. Then on a moonless night, someone was by chance observed leaving the gate. The spotter wisely did not sound the alarm. He went and got the lieutenant first. Why was that? He, he sent a message. Yes, yeah. why is that wise? Because he was going to, rather than yell down and like alert everybody, right? Yeah, well, my thought would be wise. I guess it could not be wise too. But if they're up to something, sometimes you want to catch them getting to it. You know what I mean? If you are prepared and the enemy thinks you're unprepared, you can lull them to a trap and do a really devastating defense. 
There are no surprises here. The castle can see exactly what's going on. I assume that the castle can see in the dark, and these guys cannot. And they got lucky that they spotted anybody coming out of the castle. Because they're not exactly close. They don't have lights right by the gate, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, for sure. And it's like black on black. So I don't know how they spotted this person or these people coming out of there. But I think the lieutenant pretty well quickly puts his finger on it that they are trying for a smash and grab on One-Eye's mining workers, the people digging the wall. They just want to grab enough people to finish the right. Mm -hmm. But remember, One-Eye was not in the kind of like main advance. One-Eye was on the, the steep, difficult terrain, hard slopes. Where they're building the mine, yep. going under the wall. So there's signal fires lit to warn the people on Duratil. And lighting being an issue, the limper casts those javelins to the ground. But One-Eye, he, sensing his immediate peril decides to use violet cobwebs that he just kind of casts into the air, and that actually illuminates his enemies. Half a dozen attackers. Some of them get cut down by missile fire, javelins, and arrows. Light blazed and faded into a shimmer which surrounded each. So what's that spell? I always played characters with swords, so I don't know these things that much. Whatever. It's a spell of protection of some kind. He makes the people working for him. I'm not sure if it's Black Company people or not. I was never really clear on this, but they fight toe-to-toe, -to -toe and they kill all of those people, but almost all, all the people fighting with one eye die. Well, they were conscripts, and all I had is probably, like, pickaxes and shovels and whatever else they had that was handy, and a lot of them just, like, took off running in fear and, like... And died? They said died or injured. I mean, you know, running in a moonless night in the darkness through deadly terrain. Yeah, dif not difficult. It's, like, difficult squared. The ones that survived, I mean, they weren't fighters. There were things being rained down from the walls that were intended to put them to sleep, which mostly One-Eye was able to divert. Yeah, he diverted all of them except one. And it left a trail of sleeping people behind it. Oh, or unconscious, oh, insensate, something like that. This was awesome. One-Eye literally saved everybody twice. Except for the people that died. Well, you know, he saved the operation twice. Hmm. So out of the gate come a whole bunch more people creatures whatnot and then over the wall something bladder like kind of flops <laughs> it crushes the palisade and fills the trench and those charging creatures start booking it bladder like i don't know what this is like a giant beanbag full of water but like 20 feet in diameter or something I was thinking like a magic carp or something. It's, like that I mean, it. Uh, for Pokemon. I don't know. Imagine a marshmallow, you know, something that can oh, okay. conform to the environment that you can walk on. There's this device on sale now that, you know, it's on like clickbait. Buy this thing. And it that's what it reminds me of. It's small. It had this little girl playing on it. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, dude. You've, you've made no sense so far. So keep I, going by all means. Well, I'm sorry. It comes up on my phone like all the time. So I've been tagged as wanting this type of device. I don't know why. But imagine like a water balloon like six feet in diameter that doesn't pop. And it just kind of like rolls and flows along the surface like the blob. And But you can walk on it. You can jump on it. You can do those other things. But it's full of this liquid. It's Like I said, it's like six feet in diameter. And it's kind of freaky looking. And I imagine that's exactly what this is, except it's enormously bigger. Big enough, right? So the limper seeing this, these people coming out, charging across the palisade and over the, over the wall, whatever, the limper dives on them and he performs this glowing maple seed attack. <laughs> he starts to glow, and then all of these little wisps the size of maple seeds descend off of him almost like ablation and everything it touches just disintegrates all right so there's the lieutenant's counterattack, and then several dead soldiers are dragged into the castle which is not good it happened once earlier too every single body counts, counts. And, and they got away with some and they're in the they castle got a countdown now. to the dominator man you have a countdown to the dominator Ugh. and they just they just got a bunch more Croker decides for some reason that he's going to move. He's just going to go get a better view over here or something. And he said he's lucky that he did because the air crackled and sparkled and then opened like a window. And then the very air itself froze. Oh, yeah. That's more than liquid nitrogen, isn't it? Because it's... liquid nitrogen does not freeze the air. No, it's more than liquid nitrogen because you can put, stick your hand in liquid nitrogen for like a second. I wouldn't do it. No, I, I've done it several times. Good for you. The denizens who were in the cold were to a denizen destroyed by missile fire if they got hit by an arrow they shattered oh, that 
That's cool. Which is exactly like liquid nitrogen, by the way. It is. We, we did that in college. We would freeze a pumpkin in liquid nitrogen, and then we throw it off the house. It is really, really cool. It's amazing. Profoundly cold, though. Whatever the hell's going on. I assume it was a portal to another place where it's just that cold. That clears up pretty quickly, and then there's like a fog. Well, it's really hard to describe all the stuff that goes on, and it might be better to say it's just like this flurry of magical attack and counterattack and the rushing frenzy of these creatures from the Black Castle trying to get bodies. And And three who wanted to just get out into the city and did. Apparently, they had multiple plans, almost like exactly like... Just like Elmo. No, Lieutenant. Lieutenant, Lieutenant, right. So they went for the mine. They made a direct assault, which was probably just or feigned in its own right. And then they had three people that snuck off towards the city. And we don't know what the heck their purpose was. No, not yet, anyway. And then somebody drops a tactical nuke in the castle. (laughs) A blinding white light. And Kroger wasn't even looking, but it took 15 seconds for his vision to return. I was thinking like magnesium flare times a thousand. He said that the walls of the castle actually burned because of it, mm-hmm. and it looked diminished as a result. So I don't know what that was around. But there's the, the taken continuing to attack with every resource that they have over and over and over again, just trying to burn the place, kill the people inside, whatever they can. But they did get, they did get bodies inside. Don't know if it was enough. <sighs> During this time, Asa gets away. Didn't see that coming, though, did you? No. Well, it it wasn't even (laughs) dramatic. They just said they showed up and he wasn't there anymore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why would he stick around? I mean, seriously. Well, Pawnbroker was chasing him down, right? Pawnbroker did see him go into the lily. The problem is is it was so busy in there. I guess the lily was making good money that day. Stiff business right now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They can see everything. It's like, come down to the lily, have a beer, and watch the fireworks. You know, good for Sal. Finally, business is good over at the Lily. Now the shed's gone. So Asa was able to uh, get away. Boom. Just like Raven plan- mm-hmm. planned. Probably something <laughs> to effect, yeah. So the worst seems over. The limper is helping look for the three who escaped. The whisper's gone back to Duratil to resupply. A group of denizens appear at the top of the wall, begin constructing a device. And Feather decides to dive upon them to her dismay. They were ready for her. And there's six bangs. It's like illuminated smoke appears around her six times. And then she's on fire and streaking into the buskin. Like a comet. Like crash landed into the buskin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's on fire. Not just her (laughs) carpet. Like she's on fire. It's a good thing she landed there rather than anywhere near the castle. You mean where the town is made of wood? And everything is, like, close together? Well, I was just thinking, like, what would it take and be if you're trying to get people into the castle? Oh, you mean that castle. The Black Castle. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, I was just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? I thought this was interesting. The Limper, you know, the Buskin starts burning, but the Limper spends hours of his time fighting that blaze. Maybe he's not trying to destroy all the goodwill of the town. Um, I, for sure. I mean, if if Limper hadn't been there, I mean, it could have raged out of control. Hey, man, the lady's showing up. She doesn't want to see all her stuff burnt. Yeah, she owns this place now. <laughs> it was the uh, easiest city she ever took over, I imagine. It was given to her. She was invited in, yeah. The fighting keeps going for a little while yet. Whisper's really pissed that Feather got taken out, so she expends all of her resources trying to burn the place down. But by the end of it, when she's out of resources... One Eye tells Croker there's still plenty of activity going on inside. I, I had just the impression that that's a terrible way to end the chapter. It was, it was like, weird. oh, by the way. Yeah, and it just ends it. I, I, yeah, One Eye. Why is that terrible? Explain yourself. It feels like there's more that was going on that would be contained within this chapter, except now it's just kind of... I mean, maybe it's just a scene change for all I know next. Do you not feel like it's just intended for you to read the next chapter and get on with it? Whatever, a cliffhanger, as it were. I just not think- even a cliffhanger. It's just like, turn the page, read more. What? Of the three creatures that fled into Juniper, Elmo tracked down two of them. One of them vanished without a trace. These were creatures that left the Black Castle. They don't know what they were trying to do, but I have an inkling that this is the Dominator's guy. He sent out three. He said, 
one of you hopefully will get away. We can repeat the process if this doesn't work. Take this little stone with you. Go die somewhere near a populated city. Are you serious? That's my guess. Oh, I see. They were intended to get away because, you know, what if he doesn't succeed? The Dominator's not stupid. I see. He's going to send seeds of another castle out. The gig is up here. They certainly know what's going on, and they're making an effort to stop him, so... Hmm. Maybe go someplace so far south that nobody's heard of the Dominator. That's what I would do if I was the Dominator. I think I might have already done it also. Might have, yeah. Might but, have. Although, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe it takes some time to prepare those seeds. It takes resources. You know, uh, uh-huh. he yeah. was unfortunately in a, uh, a city where he couldn't really get a lot of bodies. It took centuries to get to this point, only to fall. <laughs> for- <laughs> if only Raven had been alive earlier. You know, the thing is, if the Dominator had been more patient, like the lady, none of this would be a problem. It's only because the thing grew too fast. Because they were paying so much money, because they were so anxious, finally, to build the castle, that it got noticed. You know, if it had grown over a thousand years, nobody would have ever known. True. They would have just been like, oh yeah, that's been there forever, what? But no, they had to grow, they had to, they had to encourage it to grow instantly. Like a Chia pet. It's got hair now. Chia pet. Yeah. That's the end of this episode, ladies and gentlemen. It was good. I loved it. I find the action sequences very difficult to talk about. It's just like chapter six of The Black Company. There's just a lot going on. I kind of just want to do like a, this is the end result. Because like illuminating every single detail, it's almost unnecessary. It is unnecessary. It kind of is, like it's but I mean, like I said, you know, in these battle scenes, sometimes I lose something. I know there's readers out there that lose something in, in it. So it helps me out, number one. And not only that, but certain parts of the battle are things that I key on, and that's the thing I can actually illuminate on and have a conversation about. So I understand Mm. it sounds kind of boring, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But it is, again, illuminating for people out there. It's illuminating for me, and if anybody suffers like I do, it's helpful. Okay, so favorite part of the battle. My favorite part of the battle is when One-Eye pretty much saves the day. When Croker was giving the description that the people in the Black Castle had considered every possible scenario in their conclusion, their plan, except for One-Eye. They didn't account for him. And they made this sneak attack on the, the, you know, the mine works, and it would have succeeded. They can't be reinforced very quickly, so the people in the Black Castle would have gotten the bodies they needed. Right, but one eye stopped them. Everybody could have been gone to sleep, but one eye diverted all those little sleeping soccer balls they were sending down the hill. Hands down, that my favorite. Everything else was just like flashy details, but really, it was one eye that saved the day. Personally, I liked the battle before this, where it was just the three guys on the uh, road fighting uh, off those other things. It, it seemed a little bit more personal. That's the thing when it's big battles, it doesn't seem as personal. My favorite part in this whole thing is when Ace is, you know, getting away. You know, that's some fun stuff. Oh, I liked Shed on the Pier a lot. That was a good scene, too, for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, it was a good scene. What did you guys think about Silent being taught by the Taken how to cast that spell? Oh, we didn't even talk oh, that's about right, that. Because yeah. We're talking about yeah, it right Silent. now. That was cool. Silent was the one that was uh, shooting those flares off in the beginning. Is that what it was? That's the prismatic wall. The prismatic wall, I mean. No, the magical bolas or whatever, whatever. they were. That's the prismatic wall. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's um, they, the Taken taught him how to cast that spell. You know, if you want to start getting to the, the analysis of that, is like, one, he's extremely competent. Didn't they also say back in the Black Company that Silent was one of the blackest? That may be true, but I was thinking from the perception of the Taken probably realized they're undergunned. Yeah, they're definitely down in numbers. There used to be ten of them, and now there are three. Well, they Four. may be grooming Silent to become a Taken one day, mm. or they may just realize that they're vulnerable, and so they want to beef up their arsenal. Capability. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I agree. That was actually kind of it was telling that they were teaching Silent, and you got to wonder what else they were teaching him. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. 
I don't know. It was good. It was a lot of action. Uh, at the end, it was a lot of action. And at the beginning, it was a lot of character development, which, I don't know, it was good. Uh, all, all told, it was a nice set of chapters. It's not the end of the book by any measure. We still have a lot to find out, like what happened to Raven, what happened to Darling, what's going to happen to Shed. What's going to happen <laughs> with the Black Asa. Castle. Oh, my God. It didn't even, it's not even a the problem. The lady's going to show me, up. The ending... The lady's on her way, uh, sometime anyway. There's got to be some kind of like culminative battle between the lady and the denizens or the dominator. Hopefully he doesn't get out, but maybe he will. I don't know. All right. We're on to episode seven in nine days time. That would be chapters 37 to 41. They're all shorter from here on out. So we're coming into the last third of the book right now. This is going along swimmingly. Oh, this one's super easy super easy why didn't we do this a long time ago <laughs> all right thanks for joining us we'll see you in the next one welcome back to the black company everybody bye all take it easy